Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to Aboriginal elders emerging. Hello friends, no time to waste this week. I'm very running very late and I have a pizza in the oven for Mr Louis. That is my son. Okay, and I have to finish editing this podcast before the block is on TV because my friends are on it, Andy and Deb. I really hope they win. Okay, on with the show. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. Their marriage was already fracturing. There he was in court taking out an apprehended violence order against his own wife. And I was thinking, oh my God, you are actually a murderer. 
and you're telling a court you are afraid of your wife? Legendary Sydney Morning Herald journalist Kate McClymont specialises in the dangerous business of exposing corruption. Whether it be in the world of politics, banking, sport, unionism or organised crime, Kate is fearless in her pursuit of the truth. She's been inducted into the Australian Media Hall of Fame, won the Stellar Award, three Kennedy Awards, and Kate won her sixth and seventh Walkley Awards in 2018 for breaking the Don Burke sexual harassment story. But she joins us today to talk about her new book, Dead Man Walking, the complete story of the lives and shoddy business deals of Michael McGurk and Ron Cotty's medic. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Come with us as we go beyond the news cycle to find out how people become killers, how people become victims and what happens next. For various reasons which will become apparent, Kate McClymont was well acquainted with colourful Sydney businessman Michael McGurk when he was murdered with a single gunshot to the head outside his family home in Cremorne in 2009. While his eldest daughter delivered a eulogy at his funeral, describing him as a great businessman, others who knew McGurk described him as an extortionist, a fraudster and an arsonist. One thing for sure is that this is an extraordinary story, told by one of the great storytellers. We started off by asking Kate how she came to know so many of the people involved in this case. When you've been a journalist for a while, it's amazing how stories that you first wrote about 15 years ago, elements of that story come back later on or, you know, people who've done one thing, generally people who have done one criminal thing, it's not the only thing that they've ever done. Yeah, right. <laughs> Even in this case, because... This case sort of seems to be, there seem to be a lot of people in this case who weren't very good at their criminal things and, uh, uh, you know, it was kind of a lot of suburban people involved, amateur people involved. Well, exactly. And you sort of think that um, if the people who actually did the murder of Michael McGurk, and we're talking about a man who was shot in suburban Cremorne in his Mercedes-Benz with his nine-year-old son in the car they got away with it for about a year. And in fact, the mastermind was not jailed until nine years after that murder was committed. And at first you think it's because they're of superior skills. Yeah. <laughs> but then you realise that they were in fact a, a bunch of bumbling idiots. And it was amazing that they got away with it for so long. I think why they did in this case was that the victim, Michael McGurk, had a whole raft of people who would happily have seen him dead. So the police, the you know, for instance, um, at the time of his death, he was actually trying to blackmail the Sultan of Brunei. We're talking about one of the richest men in the world. And I would love to tell you what that blackmail was related to, but the Sultan has got a worldwide suppression order on the details of wow. that case. Yeah, so you can imagine 
the complexity of the police investigation because you have to keep in mind as a police officer that there's going to be a court case. And the first thing the defence is going to do is to say, well, have you ruled out X? Have you ruled out Y? So the police have to establish that all the other people who might have wanted him dead had alibis or, in fact, that they didn't do it. Kate, who was this man called Michael McGurk who had dirt on the Sultan of Brunei, for one thing, (laughs) and had so many people wanting to kill him that when he was finally murdered, the police took such a long time to pinpoint who had actually done it? Who was he? Look, he was a 45-year-old immigrant from Scotland and I think he was basically a sociopath. He had so many criminal schemes going on, but he was um, a superior sociopath in some way. When I say superior sociopath, he was clever in that sociopaths are often very good at the superficial charm. And that's what you need to be a good con man is to convince people to go along with your schemes. So Michael McGurk had like endless, he had mortgage frauds on the boil. He had this very um, interesting superannuation scheme where where someone had got information on people's self-managed super funds. He was fraudulently setting up names in those people's accounts, tricking institutions into handing over their money. And then he had got somebody with their ID, then withdrawing all their money from their accounts. He just had endless, um, you know, things on the boil. But for instance, um, his oldest son at the time of his murder was at Riverview, and he'd convinced two Riverview parents to go into um, uh, one of his business plans. When they asked for their money back, he said, oh, you know, let's have coffee down at Balmoral. So he meets them for coffee. He slips them a piece of paper each with the outline of what their children had been doing over the past week, like ballet lessons for one, soccer training for another. And he just said, do you really want to pursue this? So, like, he was like a really nasty, difficult tricky customer. Wow, that is terrifying. Kate, I loved the way you set up the scene early in the book. I mean, you called one of the chapters the sociopath next door and I just found that suburban element where he's like, you know, menacing the the school parents so fascinating. But his early years, he just sounded like such a chancer, like he had a pretty hard scrabble upbringing in Glasgow, but just hit the sheer audacity of his business ventures was astounding to me. I know, but you often wonder with people like that, you know that that, that old saying, if you only turned your mind to good. <laughs> yes. Like, mm. You just sort of think, you know, if only you turned your mind to doing things in an ordinary fashion. And it's also like these people love the adrenaline or the thrill of the criminality. Like, I think that there's a certain kind of person that loves to think that they're getting away with something. Mm. For instance, um, you know, one of the things that he'd done was that he'd lent money to, um, you know, a person who had um, associations with the Hells Angels. 
So Michael McGurk mm. was already on bail at the time for firebombing a house in the, the wealthiest street in the entire nation. And yet oh he is God. still, you know, he's still employing people to, um, you know, threaten other people. Like it's sort of nothing, nothing deterred him. And one of the most interesting bits I found was when a would-be business partner took out an AVO against Michael McGurk. So the AVO is granted. They come outside of Waverley Court. The person who's just been given the apprehended violence order, you know, who was afraid of McGurk, goes outside, breathes a sigh of relief, has a cigarette. Michael McGurk comes up to him and says, if you think that is going to make any difference, you are wrong. I will find you and I will get you. So literally five minutes after the AVO had been granted, he's already effectively breached it. It's like, it's just breathtaking the audacity of these people. And it's terrifying. He's like the Terminator. He yeah. just keeps coming back and back. And <laughs> yes. it must feel like there's no stopping him if he's after you. And how did you know him, Kate? Because I believe that he, one of the things, one of the encounters that you had with him is that 10 days before his death, he provided you with the identity of his assassins. Is that true? Yes, look, that's true. So what had happened was that um, somebody had alerted me to the fact that um, a house in um, Wolseley Road, as we were just saying, the, you know, the wealthiest street in the nation, had been firebombed. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So when I did, you know, title searches, I found out that um, it was owned by the Tilly family, but they were in dispute they had been in dispute with Michael McGurk and now they were in dispute with Ron Medich. And Ron Medich is a central player in that he was this incredibly wealthy property developer, but actually quite stupid. And it turned <laughs> out that he made his millions when he was in business with his younger, smarter brother who had kept him on the straight and narrow. And things for Ron started to go wrong when the two brothers split up. So um, Ron Medich, um, who'd married a much younger second wife, Odetta, um, they had bought a house in Wolseley Road. But as you do when you've got so much money, before you've even moved into that house, you find an even better house in the same street. So rather than putting the first house up for auction, you know, selling it like normal people do, he sold it to, um, you know, somebody whose family was known to him, Adam Tilly. But Adam Tilly didn't have the money. So Ron lent him the money to buy the house and they were going to do a big development on the site. But when Adam Tilly didn't pay... Instead of just taking a normal route, he hired Michael McGurk to do his bidding. And Michael McGurk, you know, first of all, took legal action. And when that didn't work, he went to step two, which was to firebomb and threaten the Tillies, trying to get them to pay. So we were doing a story on the, the fact that he'd been charged with the firebombing and that Medich and Tilly were fighting over this house. But we couldn't get on to um, Michael McGurk before we did the story. And in fact, he was um, had had his bail conditions varied and he was down skiing um, at uh, Threadbow at the time or at Perisher. And it turned out that Medich had actually hired somebody 
to go and kill him, but they didn't get um, didn't get organised in time. But anyway, so we do the story. Michael McGurk gets back from the snow, and obviously he's not thrilled about being on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald, being described as a would-be fire bomber. But he, you can tell the way these people mind that their, their minds work. So he thinks, right, okay, I've got to manoeuvre this to my advantage. So he organises to have lunch with my colleague. Uh, Vander Carson and I, who were both doing the story. And we meet him for lunch. And, you know, having dealt with these kind of people, you know, over, you know, my time, I could tell that he was thinking, right, okay, I am going to use Kate McClymont to do damage to Ron Medich. And he kept saying, you know, you're looking at the wrong person. I'm just an innocent here. It's Ron Medich you should be looking at. And it's all very well for people to say that, but you need something to look at. So when nothing materialised, he got really angry and rang up and said, listen, it's Ron Medich you should be looking at, and I don't think you understand. He has got a hit out on me. He's going to have me killed, and Lucky Gatilari, his sidekick, is going to do it. And you can imagine how horrified I was when 10 days later that, in fact, came to pass. I just felt like vomiting when I got the call. Yeah. And did you go to police with that information? Did you think it was... I did. Yeah? Yes. Oh, look, you can't... um, Well, you you can't If you have information... No, you can't not. If you have information that is, you know, that might be of assistance. But, you know, the weird thing about it was that although... We basically, um, you know, had very good reason to believe that Ron Medich was the mastermind. Of course, we couldn't write that no. in the paper because if Ron Medich sued, we would have to prove that he did the murder. And if police, you know, hadn't been able to do it, you know, within the first week or so, you know, I don't know how we were going to do it. So we had to write very carefully basically just suggesting that Ron Medich was, along with other people, a key person of interest. Did you think he did it the entire time for that entire 12 yes. months? Oh, okay. Oh, look, I did. I did. But, look, there were moments when I thought, oh, especially when the arrests didn't happen straight away, mm. I did come to think, God, maybe we were wrong. And the time I questioned it most was when the police came to do the arrests. So, as I said, the murder happened in September 2009. So, more than a year went past before the arrests happened. And then in October 2010, I got a tip off that the police were about to swoop. Now, I didn't know who they were going to arrest, where the arrests were going to happen, or what time. So, we just figured, okay, it was going to be Ron Medich, it was going to be Lucky Gatilari, and Lucky Gatilari himself had a sidekick, Senad Kamenich, who was formerly um, a Bosnian soldier. So, you know, we carefully positioned ourselves outside their houses, and Kamenich and Lucky Gatilari were arrested, but not Ron. And I couldn't believe it. I just thought, have we been wrong all this time. But what had happened was that um, I just think, of, you know, a fascinating part of the book is looking what happens when you don't have money. 
So Lucky Gatilari is arrested, as is Senate, Senate Kamenich, and Lucky Gatilari has organised the murder for Ron. He gets a message to Ron saying, mate, I need a million dollars for my legal fees and I need a million uh, uh, for my legal fees and for bail. And when that money is not forthcoming, Lucky, who suffers severely from claustrophobia, realises that he had just been left to deal with this himself. So that's when he started speaking and it was on his evidence that they were able to arrest uh, Ron Medic himself. We always say that all roads in Melbourne crime lead to Ron Idles and all roads in Sydney crime lead to someone else. Can you remember who? Well, he's about to pop up in this story after the break. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Coming up on Australian True Crime, some classic characters enter the fray. But first, Emily raises a tough question with our guest, the author of Dead Man Walking, legendary journalist, Kate McClymont. Were you ever scared, Kate, when you were doing this? Because you, I mean, you report on some really full-on corruption cases and you you delve into the murky world of crime. Were you ever scared? Look, um, I was apprehensive because um, within about a week of the murder, I had a death threat delivered to my home address. And Look, you are you're more worried about what might happen to your family, whether now that they know where you live, you know, could they do anything? But at the same time, you have to tell yourself that you can't be ruled by threats because then you might as well not do your job. So you have to put those to the back of your mind. And I always think of um, one of my police contacts once said to me, Kate, it's the people 
who don't threaten you are the ones that you really have to be worried about. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. Good okay. point. Hold on to that. Yeah. And I just, I, I do think that if somebody actually wanted to kill you, they would. It's, uh, you know, they could follow you. They could wait for you outside your work. Um, and I just think if they did, it would be very bad for business, for their business. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't tend to happen very often in our country for various reasons. Exactly. We've got to hold yes. on to that, Kate. Exactly. Tell us about, um, on that note, uh, tell us about the detective who took advantage of this particular investigation for himself, saw, saw a little opening for himself. Look, this book is just full of the most hilarious um and sort of like little side issues. So, yes, so what happened was that after Lucky Gatilari, um was charged with the murder, because Ron Medich had money, he was able to appeal every, um, you know, every single court decision. You know, there was delay after delay. And because Lucky Gatilari was the key Crown witness, he had to spend his time in jail in protection. And that is particularly arduous because you're locked in a cell for 22 hours a day. So as the years went by and Ron Medich remained a free man, Lucky Gatilari got increasingly desperate. He claims that he wanted to get the case on quicker, so he wanted to trap Ron Medich. So he organised for two of the country's most notorious detectives, as in Roger Rogerson and Glenn <laughs> oh. McNamara, to deliver an extortion letter to Ron Medich. And the extortion had started off at $10 million. And by the time Roger Rogerson got involved, I think it had hit $50 million. Perfect. Well, the Dodger needs but, a little bit on top for I the job. Know. Yeah. But it was, but the, the, I mean, it's not hilarious. It's sort of ghastly. So in the middle of doing their extortion work for Lucky Gatilari, he and Glenn McNamara get arrested for killing a uni student oh, um, in a, a drug a drug rip-off gone wrong. Poor little Jamie Gow. Poor kid. Yeah. I know, and, and the extraordinary thing is, is so Glenn McNamara's been arrested. There is a national manhunt for Roger Rogerson over this murder. <sighs> His phone's being tapped, and he's still trying to shore up the extortion bid while there is a national manhunt for his murder. And I call that supreme optimism. Oh, it's unbelievable. And and how old is Roger at this stage, by the way? Both of them, they're in their 70s, aren't they, him and Glenn? Yes. And people are uh, still yes. hiring them to <laughs> shake people down. It's extraordinary. Uh, I know. Mm. And, in fact, at first, Roger Rogerson didn't want to make the trip down to Cooma Jail, which is like a five and a half hour drive from Sydney, because of his dodgy hip. But when he got wind of um, of the riches that that might flow from this extortionate attempt, he packed his dodgy hip into the car and uh, set off to speak to um, Lucky Gatilari and his cellmate Shane Hatfield, who was known as the Cocaine King when he was arrested years ago. We think we've got you know 
pretty full-on gangland stuff and crime in Melbourne, but I feel like Sydney is yes. a particular kind of, you <laughs> know, are. got a particular vibe about it. Yeah, but we always say that the Sydney criminals are better looking than ours. Oh, I don't know about that. Probably richer too because they were, I mean, Ron Medich was fabulously rich, wasn't he? Like he and his brother had incredible riches, yeah. Yeah, fabulously rich and fabulously stupid. And in fact, his nickname was Cotties after the thick and rich ice cream <laughs> topping. Oh my god, <laughs> it's been a while since I've had Cotties topping. Actually, that's it's wonderful. Really, thick wow. and rich. Now there was also uh, drama with a juror. Even the the jury wasn't immune, which doesn't surprise me. It would th- I would think that would be a dangerous position to hold. Yes, well, this was there was problems with the jury in the first trial, but in the second trial, there was a jury of um, 11 men and one woman. And towards the end of the trial, the woman comes in and lets the sheriff's officers know that on the way into court that morning, she had been followed by a man acting suspiciously who was trying to take her photo. And she was talking on the phone and she heard him say on the phone, yes, she's speaking Greek Mm. and took the phone out. Anyway, so she gets to court and, you know, tells, you know, she said, look, I'm happy to get my husband to drive me to court. I'm happy to wear a disguise. Um, But in fact, she was disqualified from the jury because the defence, Ron Medich's um, defence team argued, look, it's already been heard that he's um, he's had his wife followed, his own wife. This is Ron Medich's own wife, and that he's already been accused of murder. This is extremely prejudicial. That juror might think that the only person who has a motive to do this is our client, Ron Medich. So we don't think that she will bring a fair and impartial um, you know, thought process to the decision. So she was, in fact... Um, dismissed from or let go from the jury, not for anything that she did, but just because she might have um, an apprehended bias against Ron Medich. So, I mean, it's it's fascinating all the ins and outs of, you know, what goes on, you know, during trials that the rest of the jury don't actually get to hear about. Mm, I can understand you would find him intimidating if you knew just a little bit about him. And living in Sydney, a lot of people would know about him, wouldn't they? They would have heard rumour, they would have heard and read lots of things about Ron Medich, probably. Yes, look, they had. But, uh, yes, it's um, it was interesting because in the, the, the thing, you know, the, the times I had to deal with him, because when you've been covering something for 10 years, you do have kind of weird sort of just ongoing superficial relationships with people because you see them outside court, you know, you say hello to them. Um, and it was always sort of like a slightly awkward relationship. And I remember once uh, during the murder trial, they were playing phone taps and there was one phone tap where Lucky Gatilari is heard saying to Ron Medich, um, yeah, I hear your number one fan is at it again. And Ron says, what do you mean? That Kate McClymont. <gasps> And Ron says, oh, she's never written anything but, you know, filth about me. Oh, and she's this, she's that. And Lucky Cat's 
cuts him off and says, actually, Ron, she's trying to dig dirt on me. <gasps> anyway, so at the at the morning tea break, I said to um, I said to Ron, oh, Ron, I said, um, hi, she's your number one fan here. <laughs> and he never, but he just wasn't ever able to laugh or like he just he his social skills were like really poor. Oh, and mm. yeah, I know it was sort of, <laughs> and I could understand why he relied on these sycophants because Ron's uh, modus operandi was to have one sycophant after another who was sort of like his paid friends, and he would support their businesses. And oh, Ron, you can't uh, be thick and charmless. No, <laughs> that's it. Come on. <laughs> And what well, was um? I think, they, oh. I think they found his money very charming. I suppose. Yeah, you would as a friend. What was o- Odetta like? What was their marriage like? Oh, look, in- incredibly volatile, and in fact, only um, it was only a couple of weeks before Ron himself was arrested for the murder. There he was in court taking out an apprehended violence order against his own wife. Oh, and in the mm. end, and I was thinking, oh, my God, you are actually a murderer and you're telling a court you are afraid of your wife. So um, they divorced, like their, their marriage was already fracturing. And one of the reasons she started looking into the the fact that Michael McGurk and Lucky Gatilari were fleecing her husband was that divorce was on the cards and she didn't want any more of the family's wealth flowing out the window to Ron's hangers-on. So, in fact, it was her that uncovered that, um, you know, both Ron and Lucky had fleeced her husband but she played a, a really distant role in many ways because she never assisted the police. She moved to the south of France and basically disappeared and left, you know, Ron to face the music. Yes, Odetta from Lithuania. Where is she now, Kate, do you know? Oh, yeah, no, she's um, living in a, a fabulous apartment on the um, the French Riviera and you know when they finally did divorce i think that their their net worth was worth about 88 million Ooh. but i'm i'm just not sure i think part of the subsequent um pool of assets so one of the key bits of land that um it, you know there came to light after the murder was a piece of land out in sydney's um uh, you know, southwestern suburbs where the second airport is going to be built. Mm. So Ron and Roy Medich sold that um, two years ago for an estimated half a billion dollars. Oh, my God. So, God. I know. so, you know, I think even though he's in jail, Ron is still a very wealthy man. Unbelievable, isn't it? Thick, charmless, but can make but money. so rich. Yeah. Correct. Oh, what oh. are we doing in our lives, yeah, Michelle? Oh, exactly. My God. Oh, so clever. We're so clever, <laughs> We're so aren't we? clever. Oh. It, it makes you wonder what the, the seriously smart criminals can get away oh. with. <laughs> yeah. The ones we don't even know about because they're exactly. so smart. So what happened in the end in court? I mean, he was found guilty in the end of perpetrating this crime, of ordering this hit. Yes. So, But the funny thing is, is that the, the two men who actually... Um, the, the two bumbling hitmen who did the murder, 
Um, you know, one was a national accounts manager at an accounting firm. The other was a 19-year-old kid. Both of those men got extraordinarily lenient sentences in some ways because they promised to give evidence against others. Um, one of them got um, seven and a half years. Mm. The other one got five years. They were out of jail before Ron Medich, the mastermind, even went to jail. Yeah. What a fascinating story. Do you think that your reportage is done now of this or do you expect more to come? I mean... Look, I expect, you know what, I expect more to come because um, Ron uh, Medich has another couple of weeks um, in order to finalise his appeal for the murder. So there is absolutely no doubt that he will roll the dice one more time and will appeal. What the um, you know what the central planks of his appeal will be, we don't yet know, but there'll be something. And as his best friend, I would expect you to be right on top of it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> as his number one fan, I will be there. <laughs> Do you have any other stories that have you've worked on for such a long time? Is this, is this sort of turned out to be one of your great life's works or are there other stories that you also... Oh, no, there's... There's others. Yeah. What else? <laughs> I know. Others. I know you follow Mick Gatto for a very long time as well. Is he another one of your best friends? Oh, he, or he, he features in this book as well. Right. So, <laughs> oh, it's it's funny how the same, you know, the the same coterie of people they turn up, and in fact, um, Ron Medich's great longtime racing partner Les Samba was murdered in Melbourne about six months. Um, after Ron Medich was arrested and charged with the murder. And as you know, his murder remains unsolved. Mm. That's right, yeah. The, um, who's reported on that a lot? Was it Andrew Rule? Yes. Did a lot yes, of reporting I, yep. on it, yeah. Exactly, yes. So he'd, got, you know, I think he'd gone to meet somebody. Um, yes, he'd gone to meet somebody down there. That's right, and he's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh, it's all very murky, isn't it? It is all very murky. Fascinating. But you're right. The usual suspects, if I may use the term, tend to pop up. Right. That's Kate McClymont, journalist and author of Dead Man Walking, which is available now. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there.